You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I know you're waiting for our tagline, 40 years thereof. It's coming. But first, you've heard me on this platform touting NRS, a great company whose many dedicated employees I get to see in action. NRS Pay has recently launched its new cost-cutting program called Cash Discount. The way it works is any vendor using NRS Pay Cash Discount has their sale register tabulating automatically a dual pricing, which offers customers a choice of a cash payment, which could result in an up to 4% discount over swiping their card. If your business meets the $18,000 a month threshold, there's absolutely no monthly fee to incur. NRS Pay Cash Discount makes it less expensive to accept credit cards, so you'll save money while helping your customers save at the same time. NRS is offering a time-limited deal right now on this state-of-the-art system. You'll get a free card reader with zero hidden fees, no long-term contract, and no early termination fee, which means you can switch your processing plan without penalty. NRS Pay is a proud part of the IDT Corporation that I've been associated with for over 10 years and has integrity built into its corporate DNA. I know its founder, its officers, and salespeople, and they truly stand by their product and will help you with live stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Check nrspay.com for more information or call 833-289-2767. And now, Emeritus Rex. 75 years of Medina Siskol and 40 years thereof. This is Emeritus Rex. I'm here with Reuven Yeshua Pupko, and uh, both of us stare at each other's eyes, and we think about how long it was ago that we lit Hanukkah Lich together. Somehow this Hanukkah feels different. I know normally uh, there's talk about miracles happening. Last night, I know in your show you announced uh, that we have to save a sane a Talmotor. That, to me, was was a wonderful symbolic moment, that we are really bonded with everybody in the other side of the world there, about Birchas Haaretz, that our Birchas Haaretz, of course, is not only the planet, but specifically Eretz Yisrael. And I think that, uh, to me, is a, a, a way to encompass us all in that same Talmotor with Rachel. So, so do, do you expect Hanukkah to, to proceed as normal? Listen, I think that people are going to uh, use Hanukkah as a vehicle to express solidarity with the state of Israel. I think there'll be many events in every community uh, connecting the two. The linkage is obvious. Uh, we fought on during the Hanukkah uh, story to reassert uh, the rights of the Jewish people, and we're doing that again the rights of the Jewish people to live safely and securely in their own uh, ancestral homeland. And uh, and I think that people are going to be thinking a lot about Israel as they light their menorahs, yes. You know, I can't resist just to insert the, uh, the other element that Hanukkah ushered in, not only the right to practice religion and uh, with, without oppression, but also the ability to establish an independent country, that was being run not by satraps and, and and others, but actually a Malchus Yisrael. Now, again, run by the Kohanim or not, there's probably going to be, again, discussions as well about what sort of Malchus emerges after uh, hostilities end. There's no question that according to, uh, you know, common sense and public polling, 
the luster is off the Likud, to put it mildly. And while they won 32 seats in the last election, polls put them now at uh, garnering at best 18 seats. Uh, not only that, uh, the religious Zionist uh, party, which you and I remember from our youth as being radically different from what it is today, and uh, they're, they're not even crossing the threshold to get into K- to Knesset at this point. And they've been a significant part of, of many, is most Israeli governments since 48. And they have certainly uh, uh, been rejected, at least as the polls uh, demonstrate, uh, by, uh, by their natural constituency. Anyone associated with the debacle of October 7th is tarnished. There's no question that the more information that comes out, sheds a very negative light on the decision-making of the last uh, number of years. You and I both saw the New York Times report from last week that there was uh, an intercepted document that laid out plans that mirrored eerily exactly what happened on October 7th. Uh, Again, it was reported in some other outlets as well. I I thought it was going to be the hottest story for a number of days because it, it seems that somewhat, I guess, a lower level uh, intelligence officer wrote that this is very disturbing. Uh, she gave it over to her superiors and said, you know, this, this, what, what should we do with this? And it, it, it laid out how the the walls would be breached. It talked, Eve, I think about the paragliders. It talked about uh, so much of what we saw Nebuch on October 7th. And uh, her superiors said, well, this is just aspirational. We don't necessarily have to worry about that. And this, this was something that was in Israeli hands uh, a year before the attack. So, yes, yeah, so so it, it sounds to me I mean, that, that, that you're, you're right. There might be the sense, who are we going to uh, replace uh, Netanyahu and Likud with? But I think there's going to be, a, a if this becomes a dynamite aspect, it's really going to explode in a lot of people's faces. What? You knew? There have been a lot of reports about warnings being disregarded. You mentioned one very important one, maybe the most important one, where the operational document of Hamas was actually in Israeli hands, and it was uh, ignored. Then you have the warnings from the young women who are uh, in charge of uh, surveillance on the border, Reported, who reported a series of unusual movements over a significant period of time on the other side that seemed to be training exercises for exactly what happened on October the 7th, the storming of a kibbutz. What you and I don't know, and what none of our listeners really know, is how to judge this kind of reporting, meaning maybe there were a thousand other reports that the intelligence services got that ended up being you know, of questionable value. Uh, you know, it's hard to know. So when, when, you, when you hear reporting like this, it's important to, to embrace a little bit of humility. Oh, my God, there was a report that said they're going to do exactly this. Well, maybe there were 99 other reports that either said something different or over the years had said, you know, had, had warned about terrible things happening that never came to fruition. So you and I sitting in our offices, you know, you look at one report. Oh, my God, why did this change the world? We don't know how many reports they get. However. Casting humility aside for a moment, the number of reports of missed warnings or ignored warnings does seem to make build a compelling case against the military leadership, the leadership of of Netanyahu himself, and certainly the military intelligence, the Rosh Haman. Uh, it, was, it was there are serious. It seems to me there are serious oversights uh, on security. And then there's another report this week how 
again, it had been reported earlier, but it was more concrete this time about battalions being moved from Gaza uh, to the West Bank uh, just before, just prior to October the 7th. I have to say that this, to me, there are two stories of October 7th. Story number one is the uh, barbaric cruelty and I hate to say the skill of Hamas and having that kind of coordinated attack, taking out the remote sensors and the machine guns, knowing everything. They had detailed maps, detailed plans. Uh, they knew where everything was and they had remarkable intelligence. That's story number one. Story number two is the late but quite effective response of Israelis, police, civil security units, and the army in, in fact, in stopping it from getting worse because the plans of Hamas were to do much more damage and to even get to the West Bank and provoke an uprising. And let's remember, uh, you know, a 1,000 or 1,500 Hamas fighters were killed that day. Somebody was doing something right. In that regard, you know, most of the credit goes to simple Israeli civilians standing up and 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 and, and doing their uh, incredible uh, job of, of of saving lives and defending the country. Those tales of heroism are important to highlight, but as we are talking about Al Hanukkah reinstating a a government, you're right. The 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 executive could say. You don't know how hard this job is. We have so many different reports. We have to weigh them. But eventually the buck stops here, as Harry Truman said. And it would seem, could we, can we erase the blackboard? Who's going to come in there now and, and run things? Right, so here's what we do know. What we do know is Danny Danone is making noises of challenging BB for the leadership of Likud. Barkat, the former uh, mayor of Jerusalem, is, is talking about challenging uh, BB. You could have a vote in the Knesset, which allows Likud to stay in power, but gets rid of Bibi. And that's what people don't realize. It's not a binary choice between the government staying or the government leaving. There could be a scenario under which uh, 10 members of Knesset cross the aisle, 10 members of Likud, and join the opposition in voting non-confidence in Bibi. And then the Likud will have an opportunity to choose a new leader who will continue as prime minister. What Likudniks understand is if they go to, if the government collapses and they go to election, Likud could be in the political wilderness for a significant amount of time. And if they have an opportunity to continue in government till the end of the mandate with a new prime minister, you could, you could imagine them being able to politically resurrect themselves. You know, you hang the blame on Bibi, get rid of Bibi and move on. But I, but I'm saying the 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 heads of security. I don't know all the names of 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 the different branches, but they have been so tainted. Oh, there's no question. The, the chief of staff, the head of military intelligence, all these guys are going to have to resign. Right. So, and, and the question is, who replaces them, and does that generate a confidence uh, that they are going to be more skilled? Uh, I think a lot of it, you know, if you'll pardon my uh, suggestion here, I think part of it is the success of the next stage of the war. You know, as we're speaking today, our our boys are going into Khan Yunus, engaging in what is considered to be like street fighting. Pundits are talking about this stage of the war lasting uh, a number of excruciating weeks. But also I think what's happened 
is I, I was surprised how fast they got to Khan Yunus. Uh, I, I think, and I, I don't know enough, uh, that they gave up or have altered their plans. In other words, Northern Gaza was taken, taking, was taken very slowly and methodically, right? They had time for an air campaign first, and then they went in, and there were less casualties on the Israeli side than people had uh, predicted. Now it seems they're moving on a more of an accelerated clock, probably due to some pressure from the U.S. and others. Uh, I don't know for sure, but that does mean a greater chance of, of, of Israeli casualties, which is obviously very painful. You mentioned the pressure from from the U.S. You know, Biden is sort of, on one hand, still uh, in in a staunch mode, but but clearly the left hand is saying it's got to be done in a certain way. Blinken and others. Last week you mentioned how Israel doesn't care about PR, but they definitely seem to be altering and knuckling under American pressure. Listen, from the day one when Biden was so rhetorically supportive of Israel. I immediately said that part of his strategy is to so publicly love and support Israel that when the time comes, it's going to be harder to say no to him. Uh, And that's what they've done. One of the lessons uh, Biden administration learned from the Obama administration is that public criticism of Israel doesn't get them anywhere. And the public support that Biden has given has given him clout with Israel. So there's no question that he has. He has serious influence. So when, for instance, the defense secretary of the U.S., uh, Lloyd Austin, starts talking about how the Israelis are going to make the mistake of pushing the citizens of Gaza into supporting Hamas by uh, bashing them over their heads, the citizens of Gaza support Hamas. Every poll shows it. Yes, you will see reporting of people who are angry at Hamas and everything else. But overwhelmingly, the citizens of of Gaza embrace Hamas. The West Bank Palestinians today support Hamas. So the idea that some uh, some decision, some military decision by Israel is going to trigger greater support for Hamas, I don't think is a concern. However, the pressure from America does have an impact, and it, and it has altered the battle plan for southern Gaza, and it has accelerated the time clock, which increases the odds of two things. Number one, Israeli casualties. Number two, Palestinian civilian casualties, right? The slower they do it, it would have spared Jewish life and Palestinian life. And now that they're an accelerated time clock, uh, you know, there's great fear, uh, you know, that the casualty toll will go up. And the and as you said, I think what you said is probably the most important thing, which is a lot depends on how this war ends. And, and if it ends as, an, you know, as a success, it obviously enhances the chances of could maintaining some political viability. Hamas being destroyed means two things to me. It means, number one, they don't rule Gaza anymore. Number two, they don't have the capacity to hit Israel anymore. We talked last week about the extension, I guess you could say, of, of intifada sloganeering and activity throughout the world. The outbreaks of what seems to be very blatant anti-Jewish feeling everywhere. Right, and then you had the the... the Congressional hearings yesterday of the three leaders of universities uh, testifying, basically saying, you know, incitement against, you know, Jews is not necessarily actionable. I mean, very strange things. Listen, the atmosphere, the climate is bad out there. When we talk about, you know, the double standards, let's just mention that there was a push last week from women's groups to have 
a declaration when it was against uh, the the use of rape as as a military tactic, which is what Hamas did, and the the silence and the justification for that silence, I, I think, really spoke volumes about how tenuous uh, the the Jewish position is. You know, you you had activities that were filmed, delineated. Everybody saw them. And, you know, feminist spokesmen were, you know, were scared uh, to open up their mouths. There's an immunity granted to violence against Jews, to discrimination against Jews. That would never be granted to any other expression uh, of of hatred for any other uh, religious or ethnic um, minority. It is, un- it's really, uh, it's disheartening. Listen, I, I've been meeting almost every other night with the groups of students in Montreal. I was in Boston last week meeting with students. It's, I, you know, as, as much as I do it with vigor and hope and optimism, one part of my brain is saying, this is so sad that in 2023, we got to do this. That we have to, you know, talk to another group of young people about, you know, why there's anti-Semitism, how to engage uh, in this world and how to confront it is just, it's just, it's tragic and it's, and it's dispiriting. It is. As, as I started our, our comments here in the beginning about what sort of Hanukkah it's going to be. What I would say again for our listeners is that if you are getting Hanukkah guilt, think about donating it towards Eretz Yisrael. The, the, the needs are, are piling up and uh, there are so many different I know that Rabbi Pupko probably is aware of many. You could probably contact him. Again, without choosing one over another, Mayor Panim is a very worthwhile tzedakah that one can give to. It has Rav Grossman and Rav Laos, Askoma, plus you know you go directly to the soldiers. Let's talk about the, the landscape of what's going to be soon upon us, which is the 2024 election. The polls are showing Trump ahead. Biden made a statement, uh, I think, yesterday that uh, he would have considered not running had Trump not been the adversary. He sort of sees himself as the white knight. Listen, it was true in 2020 that Biden was the only Democrat that could beat Trump. I agree with that. But right now, Biden is the only Democrat who could lose to Trump. The Republican side, we used to say that no one can beat Trump in the primaries, but no one can lose to Biden other than Trump. That's not true anymore. Trump can beat Biden. Uh, the best hope for the Democrats is that Biden is replaced, and the best hope for the Republic, for the country, is that Trump is replaced. Before we started recording, um, you indicated that you felt that DeSantis, besides, even though he had. Uh, his night where it was just him alone against Gavin Newsom, you believe DeSantis really should just pull out and concentrate on governing. All right. I'm willing to tolerate his existence till Iowa. Right. But after Iowa, Christie, DeSantis, the guy whose name no one can pronounce, needs to drop out, rally around one alternative to Trump. It's the only way that the Republican Party could have any future. You know, if that happens, I mean, it would be an incredible uh, turn of events. But uh, you believe uh, Nikki Haley would be able to best Biden or anybody else? And in- She's doing better than people thought. She's doing well. And uh, she's uh, certainly good on uh, stuff that we care about deeply. Uh, she's the one who's been honest about entitlement. She's been honest about a lot of things. 
and and straightforward and and, and eloquent. So uh, yeah, I, I think she's the best the best option now. I mean, DeSantis was handed this on a golden platter and he blew it, right? Instead of distinguishing himself significantly from Trump and just speaking to a larger agenda, he got tangled up in the weeds of social issues. Florida is a great success story. He should have run on that instead of running on Disney, on bashing Disneyland. You know, speaking about the Floridians and their politicians, there was a viral video of Marco Rubio. I don't know if you caught it. Yeah, it was great in the hallway when he talked about uh, ceasefire. Marco Rubio did not seem like an automaton the way Chris Christie had labeled him so many years ago. He came down strong on the his interlocutor who was saying, what do you say about the thousands of, of Gazan children and women and children that are being killed? And he said, I blame them all on Hamas. And again, it, it sort of reminded me how wonderful Rubio was. You remember Rubio in, in 2016 talked about his connection to Israel and how he he connected it to his own struggle as yes. a as, as as a Cuban, you know, his father is a Cuban refugee. You know, Rabbi, I, when COVID spread upon us, it happened to be that we, at that point, just coincidentally, happened to adopt a dog. And that dog has been a very important part of our home uh, for the last four years. And I noted that one of the hostages that, were, that was released last week, I think it was Maya Gleiberman uh, from Yerushalayim, was visiting her uh her relatives who had emigrated from Argentina and were in uh, near Yitzchak, that she brought her dog with her, that her dog Bella, uh, who they thought had somehow, uh, you know, been been running around without her leash, actually allowed her Maya to really uh, get through the harrowing experience. Was Hamas doing that as a PR, you know, letting her keep the dog in order that when they released her, they could, they could show how humane they were. But it, but it sort of, again, brought home to me in, in ways some of the other hostages didn't about the desperation and the ability uh, to persevere. And again, everybody has a different hook. Seeing this, this, this young teenager talk about her ability to survive and to be, because she was taking care of something else, uh, it really touched me. Watching the hostages uh, being released, being returned home, and hearing more and more reports from doctors and family members about how they were held. Some of the stories are deeply, deeply distressing. Uh, the kids are clearly traumatized. Uh, the reports of children being told Israel doesn't exist anymore, no one cares about them. Uh, reports of brutality and starvation and lack of basic hygiene, kids covered in, in lice and and, you know, and, 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 you know, it's, it's heartbreaking stories. Listen, we're thrilled they're out, but we're all clearly dealing with a, uh, a degree of brutality against children that uh, I don't think has any precedent. The release of the hostages and the condition and the reporting on their condition has certainly uh, uh, added another layer of motivation uh, to Israel to get this job done and get it done completely. Uh, that these uh, that Hamas can't be allowed to have any power anymore to harm us, and uh, you know it's just uh, your heart breaks. I mean, you wonder a girl like Emily Hand who, who who lost all sense of time when she was there, as having difficulty even regaining her normal voice because she was uh, under threat to whisper. And let's hope the other ones come out, you know, and uh, and Israel gets them out one way or another. But uh, 
the first priority has to be the destruction of Hamas. Just to end today with a paraphrase from the Alanisim, that we, God, we want, of course, you to be oimed lanu, be'es sorenu, ravis rivenu, danis dinenu, nakom es nikmasenu. And even though we might seem to be the giboyrim, what we need you to do, of course, what we need to happen is to have a teshua gedela and a furkan in order, of course, to be able to usher in a, a wonderful new era. That's it, my friends. We'll catch you hopefully soon next week. Take care. Be well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.